All right. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon and welcome to the forum on the venture. And I have with me Stacey Ann Piercing. Uh, she's, she's an amazing, she's an amazing person. Um, don't worry, you're going to enjoy the conversation with her today. So today we're discussing series six, the transformative economy. And what we want to unveil is what are the innovation models that directly impact economies? How do we make sure that our actions are creating an ecosystem that have positive net, um, that have net positive impact on our economy, especially within the context of Africa, where, you know, <laughs> we have a narrative that is kind of um, creating a limitation on our economic potential and doesn't even fully represent our economic potential. So what we'll be doing today is engaging Stacy, Stacy Ann, for her to give us insight into the conversation and we'll be having the conversation in um in, in four batches of 15 minutes um conversations you know how we do it start out with the trivia trying to establish the connection with the guest and then we move into the discourse where we try to understand the underlying mechanism mechanisms behind you know our conversation and then we go into the strategy session um session rather where we gain insights from from the experience that she has on the topic and then we have the forum where we discuss the one thing that um, we need to focus all of our energy and efforts and resources on. So hello, Stacey Ann. Um, I hope you're feeling good. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling really, really good. Hello, um, everyone. And thank you again, Toyin, for really inviting me into this discussion. These are really amazing topics, and I'm excited to get started. All right, awesome. So first things first on trivia is... Um, how would you describe your current work right now, your current areas of interest and how it relates to how economies are designed and how they are driven? Mm, right, right. <laughs> Actually, I saw someone says, hopefully we can get to hear you speak Chinese. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we made that so, joke that we are, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to speak Chinese. It would be really nice if you do because I have my own Chinese name also. So right, that would be fun. Right, right, right. <laughs> Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. So at the end, then you guys have to stick around to the end. We can practice saying some sentences in Chinese. Yay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm originally from Jamaica. Um, but then I went to uh, school for my undergraduate degree in, in the US. So I studied engineering and economics. Um, and something that I'm sure will, will come up is that, um, you know, I really didn't enjoy the, the practicality of, of um, engineering. And so I decided to go into investment banking. And so I worked in New York for a bit um, at Morgan Stanley. Um, and then uh, that's when I realized that, you know, China is really playing a big role in just every aspect you can possibly think of. And so I looked at what were some different ways and arenas that I could get involved more directly with China and Schwarzman scholars came up and so I applied and that's how I arrived in China. So after my one year masters, um, I decided to stay in China and work in the technology and startup scene. So I first went to, um, it's like the Uber of China, helping them with their globalization strategy. And now I work um, in a blockchain research company that was started by Oxford University and the Hainan like local government. Wow. So um, at my role or in my job, right, I do international business development. So what that means is that my team and I, we focus on 
putting or bringing together product, research, and academia, um, or business, I guess you could say. Um, and so we have to find the ways to, you know, take what the researchers have made, um, you know, combine it with the product managers who are working on specific features, and then connect them with users in the appropriate markets, right? So let's say a developing economy or, um, you know, young people or, you know, people who have, you know, whatever the use cases are for the products that we work on. So a typical day might include, um, you know, going into the office. So I live close to the park. So I walk to the office, um, go in, um, I ensure that I have maybe an hour, hour and a half of news, catching up on news, catching up on markets, um, and finding out what's going on, um, not just in my industry, but in general, that could influence the market. Um, and then I'll typically move on to, let's say, whatever the weekly goal is that we have for, for the team. And that changes depending on the, the time of year. Sometimes it might be self-improvement. Sometimes it might be customer interviews. So yeah. Sometimes it might be research. Um, so it, it really varies. Um, so yeah, so other than that, you know, we, we do presentations, we make recommendations. Sometimes we have to speak with our partners in Chinese. Um, sometimes <laughs> we speak with our partners in the United Kingdom and Croatia and Shenzhen. So yeah, so it can be really fun working in technology and working in the startup space. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> that's really exciting. Um, so if you were to take us back to your time as an undergraduate, um, I know you were in the U.S., sure. but I think um, problems normally share the same life, life essence. They just have different contexts. So what do you think represented mm -hmm. your biggest potential as an undergraduate studying in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one thing that, you know, you mentioned before that's really important is that I think African people and people of African descent, right? So including Caribbean people. Yeah. Um, we tend to have a, a very limited definition of what uh, success in prof or professional success means. Hmm. It's either you're a doctor, you're mm -hmm. a lawyer, or you're an engineer. Yeah. Right. So mm. these are things that um, I also grew up with in, in Jamaica. And so I was really good at math, really good at physics. And so that means that I must be become an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when I went to school in the United States, I just signed up for engineering because that was, that's what was expected of me. Mm. Um, but going to Lafayette, it was a liberal arts college. So engineering was only one department and you could take classes anywhere you wanted. Wow. And that, right, the opening up of the mind, right, the mm. opening up of the mind and the opening up of the, the way to learning, right, so not mm. just about numbers, exactly, was very critical to me realizing that I don't want to work in engineering. Mm. I, want to, I want to work in an industry that's dynamic. I want to understand what makes the world go around. I want to understand how you know, leaders are created, how business is made, how, you know, how money is, is generated. Um, and so I had that opportunity to do that in undergraduate. And I'm really grateful for that because I know if I'd gone to a directly engineering school, mm. I might not have had that opportunity to explore these other areas that I now enjoy. 
Wow, I I, so I, I love the most. Um, I, I love that. I love part. Yeah. I love I love listening to that because um, you know I have been recommending a book by David Epstein um, about range, and it talks about how generalists um, so mm. how generalists survive in a specialist world. You know, the world that we are getting exposed right. to is a multidisciplinary world, but we're still being you know <laughs> we're still being driven mm-hmm. in a disciplinary way. So I think. Your, your response is, you know... It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, yeah. Yes, it's really exciting. So that's the biggest area of impact. More, so every undergraduate that is going to listen to this in Africa or around the world, expose yourself to other people's departments. Your department is not the alpha and omega of the opportunity you can access in your, your work. Mm-hmm. You're a student in, poli- in political science. Mm-hmm. Go to engineering and ask them and try to figure out how does my mm-hmm. understanding of political science influence the state of engineering? You know, that is amazing. So thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. that with us. Um, so one more question for the trivia is now you, you intersect with a lot of markets and, you know, I've been mm-hmm. privileged to also work um, within a business consulting environment where I had to also deal with different markets. And one thing you experience is context. Mm-hmm. Context is where opportunity is created. Uh, what works what works in Croatia might not work in the US. What works in the US might not work in in you know in China, right? And that is one one issue that has created right, dysfunction right. within Africa. We just copy and paste. We don't contextualize. So, what do you think? Mm. You mm. know, since since young people make the bulk of population here in Africa, what do you think is the biggest economic potential of young people to define the economic reality of nations? You know. And if you can contextualize it to Africa, you mm, can make it a general mm. statement. What do you think is that biggest area of potential mm. for young people across the world? Right, 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 right. But I think the the greatest news, right, to what you're saying is that it's already happening mm. in countries across Africa. Wow. Because what I think the greatest mm, potential in not just Africa, but most developing economies, mm. the power of youth is a change in mentality. Mm. The frustration with the current reality. True. And that is so powerful. And that's why our leaders are scared, right? They're really scared because they know that empowered young people create substantial change. And I think that's already happening um, across all countries in Africa. Um, and so that, that, you know, that's one of the things that I've been most heartened by, um, being a, a third-party observer of the the movement and the development um, that's happening uh, across um, the African continent, because we see, right? We see the the entrepreneurship that's coming out. We see the number of talents that are coming, um, and so we also see the number of talents that are wanting to go back home. And you know, that's a really important and critical piece of. Um, how do you generate development for economies, like for de- developing economies? And so that for me is what I've observed is, is one of the most powerful things is for the young people to have the changed um, and motivated mentality. And so the next step uh, after that is how do, we, how do we use it in a way that is beneficial or in a way that is constructive, right? In a way that activates change. And so that's the part that I think um, developing economies um, and countries in Africa, we still need to work on, which is how do we get 
um, the resources, right? Like how do we get uh, young people to recognize that there are other resources, there are online resources that they can utilize in a way that developed economies have been utilizing for generations. Um, and so I think that's one of the, the key aspects. An example of that is um, these international organizations such as the United Nations, um, you know, different development banks, the World Bank, um, all these organizations have incredible venture building programs, um, not just scholarships, but actual, you know, professional development programs. And they struggle to find applicants from Africa, True. from the Caribbean, and from Latin America. Mm. Right? Now, you can obviously say, oh, it's only because, you know, we're not as qualified. That's not true. The reason is, obviously, is because we just don't have the same access to the information that North America and Europe has for, you know, to be introduced to these programs. And so that, I think, is really the next step for, you know, the African continent, the Caribbean, Latin America, is that we need to empower ourselves to get access to these resources that are available to mm. us. Um, and so, you know, those are some of the things that I think this platform is really trying to, to do. Yeah. Um, and I myself, I also try to reach out and, and if people reach out to me, I try to help, especially if they're, you know, black or of African descent, because I know there's a huge gap between, you know, the, the, the resources that North Americans have and Europeans have to what, um, Caribbean, Latin American and African, um, young people have. So that's, that's what I would say about that. Wow. So, you know, if you're a student and you're looking out there, trust me, there are resources online. And if you don't know, I will message Toyin, uh, you know, things that can be sent out to everyone who subscribes to his, um, to his platform, because it awesome. really is true that there are, there are so many resources out there that we are just not accessing. Yes. Wow. <laughs> this is, this is already so exciting. Um, amazing. Amazing. I'm, I'm, my mind is blown. So let's dive right into the discourse. Um, you know, yesterday we had, we're talking sure. about series six, um, the transformative economy. And mind you, I had never come across the concept. I didn't even know it was an actual concept when I was developing it for the series, you know? And so it was exciting to have, um, right. a senior policy analyst from the Department of Economic Growth, um, the Nigerian Ministry of Finance, mm. Budget and National Planning and Policy Programming come on the platform yesterday and right. help us define, you know, mm. the future characteristic of a transformative economy. And he says the transformative economy is one built mm. not on consumption, but on production, right? And that was, right. that was really mm. profound for me because I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't even... I wasn't even aware that it was a thing. It was just a concept <laughs> I had in my mind. So in the discourse, um, right. Africa's current opportunity, um, Africa's market opportunity is currently defined by its consumption. You know, once you are reading some statistics or a report, you see that, oh, Africa has the biggest, you know, potential and all of that. But then when you're reading why, it says it's because we have mm. a billion people that, you know, we're the next but the next, you know, big right, market. Right, large markets. Exactly. Yeah. So they define the market <laughs> right, opportunity right, based right. on consumption right. and not on the creation of economic value. Right. And nations don't create wealth by consumption. Mm. So what do you think right. is the biggest area of impact to redefine Africa's 
you know, market opportunity aside from just being consumers? I mean, you know, this for me is, 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 I don't know how to say like a little frustrating, right? Because I come from a very tiny region <laughs> where we don't have, we don't have many resources. And so we are truly defined by our consumption. Now for me to look at the continent of Africa and for external and even like local people, right? To mm. outline Africa still as a consumptive market is still very puzzling to me because of the amount of natural resources and the amount of um, extraction production that actually happens in happens, Africa. True. Exactly. But it still gets construed, right? But it still gets construed as a consumption market, a, a mm. market that doesn't produce. And I'm always baffled by that. But, you know, that's, mm. that's a discussion that's for a another time. Another day, yeah. um, <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I'm always, I mean, even though, right, local economists, they do talk about the production aspect, but I'm always skeptical about this aspect that Africa doesn't produce. But anyhow, so how do you move from this consumption mentality to the um, more wide scale global definition of production mentality? Yeah. Um, I think one thing that we often forget, right, is that we um, different, like different regions across the world are going through different growth cycles. Yeah. Right. So you have um, Europe who went through theirs first. Right. They were the original superpowers, especially the United Kingdom. Um, and then they were overthrown by the United States. Right. Through <laughs> through rebellion, through wars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so now North America, then North America went through its growth cycle and development. And now it's the superpower. Um, and now we're seeing sort of the third shift, right, in our modern history. Now mm. China is going through its growth cycle. Um, and, you know, there's tension between the U.S. and China because now oh, yeah. China is, is growing up to become possi possibly the next superpower. superpower and so exactly. I think um, a lot of times, right, I think a lot of times we forget, right, that large economies... Um, such as these regions, and then including the African continent and including India, um, have to go through these cycles, right? And mm. so I actually see Africa going through a consumption cycle as a very positive indication of its potential for the future. Mm. Because if you, if you remember, or if we can think back to China, even just 20 years ago, China was solely a consumption market. Right. Like mm. companies only came to China because they had 1.4 or 1.2 at the time billion people yeah, and people. everyone was mm. running to come into China. Mm. Right. And then the government, right, was very strict about their market economy and, you know, about companies sharing information. And then they started to um, do manufacturing and then they started to do real production, not just mm. manufacturing, but also technology. So it's, it's a cycle, right? It's a growth cycle. It's not something that we can just move from, you know, farming and li like large scale farming immediately to high tech or high value chain production. So mm. I think it's, it's a cycle that we're going through. Now, one thing that I do know for sure that we are struggling with in developing economies is, you know, the management of resources or mismanagement mm. of resources. Yeah. And so I think that's the part that has really held a lot of de developing economies back is sort of this concentrated 
mm, power at the top, concentrated mismanagement of resources at the top that doesn't allow our economies to grow in the way that it should, right? Like as a cycle after consumption, then comes manufacturing, then comes the production of high, high value chain um, products. Mm. And so obviously each country has to deal with their corruption in their own way. So I, you know, I don't have any comments about how continental Africa can deal with their corruption. Um, but I'm telling you, like in Jamaica and in the Caribbean, this is something young people are also talking about. Mm. How do we stamp out corruption? Because it is really killing our economy. Mm. Um, and so that for me is, is what I, I recognize for the African continent. Like thinking about the cycle, it's a cycle, it's a cycle. and you have mm -hmm. to go through certain development stages, right? Before you get to this, this area of um, large scale um, prosperity. So, awesome. so that's what I see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I really love this because it begs for the second follow-up question as planned. You talked about, you know, the cycle mm. and then the mis mismanagement of resources from the top about leadership. But I'm of the thought, mm. I'm of right. the thought, the school of right. thought that um, the corruption that we, that we see is actually a game of resources, meaning mm. corruption only mm. exists because the barriers to access mm -hmm. to these resources are high. Once you can reduce the price of right. access to those resources, corruption will lose its, its power. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. power becomes something about access to opportunity mm -hmm. and not just about the resources itself. Right. In this life cycle, right. um, we've been able to, from your response, be able to understand the impact of leadership through this cycle because bad leadership just means we'll have mm -hmm. stunted growth through this cycle. And even just like the way plants who experience right. growth during their own cycles don't end up producing any actual harvest. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an archetype of what could happen mm, to Africa. Mm. So the decentralization of leadership right. is a major, is a major, um, um, is a major point to this. You said the right word, which is decentralized. So I'll come back to that. But continue. <laughs> okay, awesome. So how do how can young people, <laughs> or okay, let's not even focus on young people since we're not talking strategy yet. But how can we decentralize? Um, 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 leadership to make sure that the climate here in Africa is investment attractive, you know, because we'll need, you will need mm -hmm. that if we're going to scale through this uh, cycle of development. So how do you think we can decentralize um, leadership to make sure that the exploration and creation of economic um, opportunities is, is, is a reality? Now, my friend, now, my friend, this is the million dollar question that everyone on the face of this earth in every developing economy everywhere is trying to answer. <laughs> mm. oh, wow. wow. Right. So how do you move developing economies from this state of um, corrupted or mismanaged institutions mm. to a phase where you have institutions that have um, acute responsibility and accountability to its people? and mm -hmm. to growing its economy. Um, and that's a really, really tough question. And different, different regions of the world deal with it differently. For example, in North America, they really believe in extremely strong institutions. institutions. And, mm -hmm. right? and so they have, right, right. So they have strong institutions that they build on really strong foundations and they believe in those foundations to do the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a balance and check or check and balance. 
in China, they focus more on a very centralized model, right? So very centralized and non-corrupt, right? To try to reduce corruption, to move in a way that the central government controls the power and helps or, you know, conditions the people to believe that the central government acts in its best interest. Now you have developing economies that, you know, either took their um, political system from their colonial masters, or they have their, you know, uh, original systems from, you know, like native peoples um, all the way back to before colonialism. And um, now economies are trying to redefine or revisit, does this work? Does this still work for my economy? And so there are different ways, right? The most destructive way, of course, is for young people to rebel, right? Like to, to just demand that um, their leaders do better or, you know, they, they riot or protest in the streets, um, which we've seen over the past couple of years for different countries all over the, the Middle East and, and North Africa. Mm. Um, and then you have this other phase of, technology-driven decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this idea that um, governments are um, decentralizing the power by infusing technology with their political system. So for example, mm -hmm. a country like Estonia, which is in Europe, it's a very small country, um, but it is able to utilize um, technology and digital transformation to completely um, you know, galvanize its economy to, and it has grown, right? It has, you know, gotten international recognition um, and now its economy is booming. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, some other means that I think African countries and Caribbean and Latin American countries will have to figure out, which is a combination of a lot of different things, right? So many people will have to play different roles Role. and try different things at the same time. That's mm. my personal belief because mm. we honestly don't know which one's gonna work. work. True. We've been confused for a very long time mm. because we are or have been conditioned by our colonial you know, masters for how our institutions should look. Mm. And so in my opinion, we have yet to really develop our own identities that really match our, real, wow. our own markets. Wow. And so for me, I think it needs to be that, you know, we empower our young people that we don't just have to pick one path. Mm. We can actually have empower our young people to each try different things mm. and whichever one works, works, works mm. right? So for example, we could have, right, so we could have young people who, like you mentioned earlier, you know, in our separate call about um, uh, not too young to, to, run. to run, right? So, you know, we can encourage young people to, yeah, we can encourage young people to get into politics. So that's mm. one means. We can also encourage people to, um, we can also encourage other people to, let's say, try to leave the continent with the express intent of coming back, coming back. right? So yeah. let's say doing programs like, right, doing programs like the United Nations, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, YPP program, Young Professionals Program. Okay. Right. So the World Bank Group has it. The UN has it. Development banks have it right where they specifically they train you in how do you build strong institutions and then they send you back yeah. to your home country as a as a yeah, as a, a, a post. 
Hmm. So we can have a lot of people funneling into these, you know, institutions, international institutions to develop mm, what are some of the more formal ways of, of strengthening institutions, right? So that could be another way. Then you could have another way that's focused on galvanizing entrepreneurship, right? The mm. idea generation, having people do grassroots innovation. Wow. So amazing. who cares what outside thinks? I'm going to generate this right. I'm going to generate this in my market. I'm going to find a problem and I'm going to solve it. Love it. And mm. I'm going to trust the market to do the rest right. Um, then you can have other aspects, right? Where people go into more formal um, corporate structures, right? So... Mm empowering people in villages, empowering people in mm. poorer communities to really focus on education, mm. right? And getting them into more formal structures of professional life. Um, and once you, right, like, and each country can figure out this, this set of things that young people or pathways that young people can try all at the same time and then see if any of them work. Perhaps if we're lucky, all of them will work, right? And then you start to get more, um, more success. But I'm surely of the belief that, you know, I think we put a little bit too much faith in these external, True. like, mm. I keep calling them colonial, because really, like, I, it's very frustrating for me that, mm. let's say the government of Jamaica, we still have these third party consultants that come from outside of our country to tell us how to run our run country. Our country. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. Mm. Um, yeah. And so a lot of developing economies, actually, the government spends a, a good chunk of money paying these consultants to tell us how to run our own economies. I think this needs to be revisited, right? We need to develop our own methods of, 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 of how we problems. can grow our economy because yeah. who else is right, right? Who else is best to do that but ourselves? Mm -hmm. And so I'm of the mind that we need to upscale ourselves and take on the problem solving ourselves. Um, and so if we can't beat corruption, we can decentralize it to, yeah. you know, mm. decentralize success exactly to the mm. point where it's impossible for them to be corrupt because it no longer goes only through the so government. That's exactly. Do you get what I mean? Wow. So exactly, exactly. Wow. These are, these are lovely, these are lovely um, insights into the conversation. And you know, the last question for this, mm -hmm. you know, also, also acts as a follow-up to what you said, that it's, it's, a, it's a cultural and identity problem. Right. Um, you know, we, we, mm. we Africans, you know, that's like our biggest curse. Um, we have not, we, mm. we have, we, we had our identity and culture, we had identity and culture handed over to us, you know, ours was stolen away from us and mm. handed another mm. and all of that. And what that did, mm is that mm. because we did not create it because we do not master it because we did not um yeah that's the word create it we cannot it is not built to change confused it, yeah exactly it is not built to adopt mm. and adapt to change it is built to be resistant to change because mm. we didn't create it and mm. you know one of the things you said yeah. about how yeah. we can we can tackle the corruption and decentralization of, of leadership is if we can integrate you know, you actually give options. So you're actually posing a culture of innovation, mm. a, a culture of looking for options to tackle one problem, you know, looking for what is the right. most effective and productive right. means, you know. But right now that we do not have mm. that cultural environment that adapts to the creation of other forms mm. of culture within that culture, how do we, how do we facilitate the, the creation right. of this innovation culture 
you know, in, in Africa that is able mm. to exploit change and create opportunities from it? How do we, right, right. especially as young people, right, so I want you right. to address us as young people. We don't, let's yeah. give us the juice. Yes, you know, yes, give, yes. Give the young people of Africa the juice. Yes, yes, how for sure. Create our own innovation. For sure. Yeah. Look, it's a change in mindset, honestly, because... Mm. There was one thing I forget who was, I was chatting with someone and they were saying, look, you are sitting there with the resources that you have saying that you don't have the resources and someone with less is doing more (laughs) than you are doing right now. Right. So I definitely think it's this idea of change resources because I tell you what, right now is the best time in history Mm -hmm. to launch something that you created yourself. Because we have an explosive internet. The internet has no limitations except for if you have access to it, right? So that's the only limitation in terms of how do you generate or how do you create these ideas or this culture of innovation? If your government isn't doing it, or let's say some people who are passionate about politics and about government, they can work on the government, right? Like, so let's say we, we have half the people working on the government and then the other half of people working on their own ideas, right? So you have this, 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 this dual approach of, okay, I need my government to be more supportive of innovation. They need to have more, let's say, um, trade schooling. They need to have more innovation training. They need to have more coding classes. They need to have more, um, you know, higher level of access to technology and the internet. Um, So that's one part, right? But having people work with the government on getting those set up. Mm -hmm. Then you have the other half of the people, which is just encouraging people to look around them. What are problems that they're passionate about? You have to Mm -hmm. have passion and mm, sort of empowering them that look you can create a solution Mm. like don't worry about money don't worry about um all of that right now because using the internet like you can launch things with zero money the only thing you need is the internet Mm. and so once you start to launch things you realize that people across the world pay for quality solutions Mm. regardless of where they come from true that for me is one of the most powerful sort of like mental um, changes that young people need to realize. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter, you know, like where you are in school. Doesn't matter where you come from. As long as you have a strong solution that you're passionate about, you can sell it online. Once you start to sell it, once you start to sell it, even in your uh, local communities, then you start to get partnerships. Then you start to get traction. Then you see international companies knocking on your door saying, hey, I like your idea. I want to give you money, right? But that idea is the first step. Now, this, of course, is now coming from a place of privilege for me because mm, I, I, I have seen this, right? And so I know what it's like to be at home. We don't have any job. We don't have any money. And somebody's telling me, oh yeah, I can start something. Don't worry about money. Look, I understand that, right? So we do also have to find ways to ensure that, um, yes, we can, let's say, feed our families or yes, we can eat or yes, we can, you know, pay the bills. But I think that needs to be 
one aspect of how we look at life. So it should never be that you're working at your job to, um, you know, to fulfill their dreams. It should be that you're working at your job to collect money to build your dream, right? So that's, that's, how, that's how I would say um, to look at it. Now, if you're not an entrepreneur, if you don't want to create solutions then, um, for, by yourself, then the only thing that you need to focus on is training yourself right? Mm. So don't ever be still. Don't ever stand still. So if you feel that you're comfortable in wherever you are now, it means that you have not set enough or high enough goals for yourself. Mm. Because in the developed economy, people are always looking for ways to improve themselves and then Mm. use that to earn more money, make more money, sell, you know, produce, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really about this idea, this mentality shift about, you know, what's the end goal? What's the end goal for us? Um, mm. And I think that's something each individual has to define for themselves. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, wow. So exciting. So let's jump into the strategy session uh, where we get to, where we get to, you know, give sure. us the practical insights. Okay, guys, you can do this, do this and do this. All right. Mm. So, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> so talking about the transformative economy, um, in the publications, I highlighted yeah. that um, one thing that needs to be done, the foundation for all of this to become a possibility, the creation of an innovation culture, the, innovation, uh, the, the shifting of development mm. economies, the shifting of the economic landscapes and all of that depends on one factor alone, which is creating an enabling mm. environment for value creation. That is... Right. Or the crooks of it. Right. And this became my realization as an undergraduate yeah. where I noticed that within the four walls of the university, it looks like a vibrant ecosystem where, you know, for learning, you know, it, it's, mm. you can see the, you see, you see talents, you see everything. But when you step right outside, you know, the, the, the community, the, the university walls, the local community is not getting better for it. So it didn't make sense that universities were located in local communities and with so much talents and resources that the local community wasn't getting better for it, right? And then the environment, even within the, the, the university, only supported scholarly competence. It didn't support value creation. So how can the undergraduate community create their own enabling environment that reduces the cost of innovation, but increases access to explore opportunity by creating these same global solutions to the local problems that they encounter with every day. Right, right. So I think one of the most interesting resources of undergraduate students is time. Hmm. Um, Once you leave school, you just don't have the time to sit down and reflect and think and dream about all the things that you can do because there is simply no time. You've got bills to pay, people to feed. Exactly. Um, And so maybe some people even have to do that while they're in school. But anyhow, um, so for me, right, as an undergraduate, my primary focus would be on time. And so if it is that I'm trying to... um, trying to improve value creation as an undergraduate, one thing that I would look out for is um, looking at the community, Mm. like especially like if you have community leaders or community elders and seeing if there are projects that you can partner with them on 
um, because the first step is that it gives you experience in learning from these elders as well as um, uh, creating value and doing innovation in a safe way, right? Because you're still in university. Um, and then for the community, it gives them an opportunity to be exposed to the resources of the university and also to work together on a problem that maybe they have some idea of the solution, um, but they just need young people to help them structure it or to help them build it or to help them execute it. So that would be one thing that I would say. For example, like when I was in undergrad, there were so many opportunities. Um, and one of them I was really fascinated with, it was a geothermal en energy project um, in like an island off Honduras. Um, and they were looking for just someone to help them do research about what are the geothermal potentials of, um, of this small island. And so I was like, yeah, I want to do that, right? It's, I, I get to learn from, um, industry experts from from this cool island that I'd never heard of before and they get this resource from a student who's just interested in doing something and so that gave me the exposure right to creating research and also to solution finding and presenting to a board um, a board of director and for them it you know got the 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 time of the student that a student is able to give and so for me, it's about encouraging undergraduate students to be proactive. Don't wait for things to fall on your lap. Mm. Like if you are saying that, oh my God, there's nothing to do, you know, the community outside isn't growing, go outside, go mm. talk to the community. Mm. I promise you, they, you know, even if they're hostile at the beginning, if you keep talking to them, keep talking to them, building relationships, they will want um, your input because they know, right? Y young people are the future. And so um, just being proactive. And if that elder or that leader doesn't want your help, guess what? You can move on to someone else, right? So that for me is, is a really key part about being proactive. If there's something you don't like, go out and find it and change it. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Um, I couldn't have, I couldn't have expected, um, uh... Another response as brilliant as that. So let's jump right into the second question. Um, it's also a follow-up, but it's a follow-up to the, the question, mm. uh, to the conversation we had about culture. So let's contextualize um, your response yes. to, to culture of innovation, but at a local level. So if we were to think of culture as, right. um, as an onion ring, right? It gets worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the impact of this cultural dysfunction gets worse when you go down. Because at the local level, mm -hmm. they are even exposed to culture within, the, you know, within an unenabling environment of their own economic reality. To make that simpler, it means because they right. are poorer there, they are more distracted with survival than trying to even solve yep. the actual yep. problem. So how do we yep. create um, no, a sir. culture for innovation that they can relate with because it directly impacts them? within this same dysfunction uh, uh, that we're trying to work with. Yes, yes. It's, it's acutely accurate. What you just talked about is something every developing economy has to deal with. Hmm. Now, for me, I don't know which aspect you meant, like government or what young people, like what we, well, you guys are even younger than I am. So what really <laughs> young people can do. Um, 
Um, and so I can first talk about it from the government side and then yeah. I can talk about it from uh, what we can do side. Yeah. So from the government side, I always said that I don't understand how governments can't understand that you can't get crime to go down and you can't get people to be committed to prosperity if every day they're worried about where the next meal is coming from. Exactly. Mm. It's just impossible for mm. someone who doesn't know where their next food is coming from to focus on like what they're going to do in 10 years. Who mm. cares about 10 years? I don't know what I'm having for dinner today. Mm. So, um, and even worse, right? They have kids, they have children um, to right. Survival is first for, for people in these situations. And so there is no capacity for them to think about, um, you know, really future stuff, unless you have, you know, kids who are just out of this world genius or out of this world brilliant, which we've seen a lot of stories come out, coming out of different countries from Africa in these situations. But the norm is that people who are in these situations just don't have the brain capacity to spend on what's the future like. So on the government side, it definitely needs to focus on providing the direct support and resources that are needed for these people. Now, mm. different people have different ideas about what that looks like. Some people think universal basic income is a way to go. Mm. Some people think that, you know, trading schools in these different communities is the proper way to go. Some people think that, um, you know, schooling programs, let's say like the YMCA or any like community, um, what do you call them? Like community centers mm -hmm. in these um, com um, in these poorer areas are critical. It doesn't matter which one you ascribe to. As long as the government is trying to address that aspect, that's a critical aspect um, of getting people beyond the survival mechanism. Um, so a lot of research has been done about that, so I won't say any more about that. So people, individuals, what can young people do? What can individuals do? So there are two aspects, right? Mm. So the first aspect is working from a top-down mechanism. Mm. So you can say, look, poor people follow trends, right? Yeah. They don't have the insights to be able to see something before it blows up. Yeah, problems, yeah. And so what you can do is you can find something that you're right, find something you're passionate about, get um, investor partnership and international support, and then people will adopt it locally. Mm. Right. So that's the, the top down approach. Then the bottoms up approach is that you can mm, sort of try to understand what are the major pain points, pain points. Mm. of these communities and try to, exactly and try to fill or try to solve one of these pain points with a simple solution. Mm. Um, and then you will get their uh, support or you'll get them to move towards being more self-sustaining being yeah. more innovative mm. because you've removed yes because you've removed those a pain barriers. point from yeah. their survival journey mm. so those are the right exactly so those are the two ways that i see as individuals we can um we can assist with so for example if you you know are really good at mathematics and you realize that in your local community or in the community next to you or in two towns over um, students just aren't, um, let's say they aren't passing their subjects or, you know, they don't go past grade five or, you know, they don't go past grade eight, then you can, um, offer, let's say tutoring classes, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like you can say, hey guys, I'm offering X, Y, Z, or I'm going to blah, 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 right? That that could be a solution. Mm. You can even have other solutions, right? Where other companies, I've, I've seen them in Africa, um, where people are unbanked. Yeah. Right. Mm. So they don't have bank accounts because it's just, just too expensive and it's too time consuming. And so you have these, um, these small apps that just allow you to do banking on your phone, right? Really yeah. simple banking. Even the agency um, banking too. Another one could be, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I know here in China, they also did that. I don't know if you guys know, like the Alipay and WeChat. Oh Pay. yeah. Alipay. Wow, so yeah. yeah, long before. Yeah. Right. Right. Long before China, you know, was as developed as it is now. Lots of people were unbanked in villages, mm. you know, in the mountains mm. and they created a very simple system or a very simple platform where they could do peer to peer banking. And exactly. so completely cut out the big banks. Mm. right right so that's another like localized solution i saw this back home in jamaica another example is this woman she is a farmer and the covid right really shut down the supermarkets and so the supermarkets weren't buying her produce and so she created her own um produce delivery system where people wow. would message her what they want she'd pack up pack up her truck and de deliver them directly right awesome. so it's really about um Solving you know and en enabling yourself mm. to believe that you can do it mm. yes mm. yes that 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 really is it just believing that you can do it and taking that first step honestly wow awesome um you know and i, I <laughs> i'm a believer in the second approach of bottom up because i think you know we, we when we mm. take all of these insights you've given and then we start innovating around our local problems and you know one, one problem again from this same copy and paste culture is that we think every solution has to be tech enabled for it to, 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 to work. But within the local context, during yeah. their, in their own growth cycle, they are not there yet. So like the example you gave, yeah. you know, someone offering tutoring services to, to those kids, you know, can easily charge a little amount, but work with the volume because you make money saying, okay, um, normally a class can hold mm -hmm. um, 50. So instead of you paying, um, you know, a monthly fee, you just pay per class, right? But because you know you're taking mm. 100 students at a time, mm, they're still right. profitable. So there are models right. that we can adopt. And right, I'm advocating right. that the young people in the underrated community are the ones should be saddled with this responsibility. But moving on, right? Um, <laughs> I just got really excited about your response. <laughs> so um, last question <laughs> as a follow-up is you talked about, you know, the international partnerships. And, um, mm. you know, my, lit my little knowledge of physics, um, there's this Newton's law of motion, the first one that says that, um, except, except there's an external force, you know, acting on, you know, um, acting mm. on an object in, in inertia, it is going to remain in the same state. And that is what I think would shift, right. shift Africa. I think if we're going to develop systems, it has to be developed with, um, mm. it has to be from, it's, it's from inside outside, but it has to be with the external force of outside. So international partnerships are going to, mm. um, international partnerships done right, if I may add, um, is going mm -hmm. to radically change mm. the economic outlook of, of Africa. So how do you think the undergraduate community, which, if I remind you, is the most underserved in this conversation, right? How do we position 
the undergraduate community international partnerships and international exploration of opportunities brand building mm. it has to be mm. brand building um this is something that uh, very super wealthy people and families mm. teach their children from they are babies mm. two years old three years old four years old five years old mm. they introduce them to people they teach them about um perception they teach mm. them about image they mm. teach them about relationships ah! This is something we just do not practice until we are in our 30s or 40s. This is crazy. This is something that I have realized is so critical to building generational solutions and generational wealth is your brand building. Because you don't know what you are capable of until you're exposed to a wider range of people who are doing amazing and different things. It's just, it's just human nature, right? So if I grow up and the people, the, the, the people around me, the highest level of what they do is what I think will be possible for myself. And so if I open my vision to what's around me, then my vision of what's possible for myself will automatically increase. True. Right? So if I, for example, if I hang around with millionaires, I'm going to become a millionaire. Mm. If I hang around with people who don't do anything all day, I will end up not doing anything all day. Mm. Right? So it's really about brand building, both in person and online. Mm. So the in-person one is about building mentors. Yeah. You must have a really strong set of mentors that you can bounce ideas off, that they can encourage you to take the risk, that they can support you when you fail. Because believe me, you will fail in life, mm. <laughs> right? Like that's just normal. Um, but you must have the strength, right, to be able to get up and, and, and do it again and not to take it personally. Mm. So having mentors uh, in person is really great. Now, if you don't have anyone around you that can really serve as a mentor, again, the beauty of the internet, right? Mm. You can find mentors through, you know, books, through, you know, TV shows, through free services, through all of these online webinars that people are putting out now because of COVID-19. So many free sessions for students. It blows my mind. I'm happy mm. to also share um, content uh, and companies that are doing that. Like there is one, as a side note, there's one, it's called One Salting. Oh, They're I know. brand yeah, new. Yeah. They just launched in the last seven or eight months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know One Salting. Super um, helpful Jeremiah, for students. Jeremiah. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry Lee. That's right. That's right. Jeremy. Right, right. Jerry and Jeremy or something like that. Um, and so they produce this free content that gets, gives students the real core information that they need to be successful. So lots of resources like that, but you can't find it in person. And then online, right, your persona, your professional persona online will bring you leads that you had never thought possible, mm. right? So even if you don't know how it will bring you benefit, just trust that building an online persona is really helpful for your future. And if you're able to utilize it in a way that's useful, you can, um, you can get jobs, you can get leads, you can get partners, you can get investors all through having your, your online brand. 
Um, and so that's, that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is about the mentality, right? Mm. The mentality, I keep saying mentality Same, yeah. shift. Yeah. But finding a way and yeah, yeah. Finding a way to just tell yourself that you can do it, yeah. right? Like whatever your dream is now, people say it all the time. If it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. Yeah. <laughs> you go to these developed economies, these kids have mm. been told their entire lives that they are going to be successful. They can be the CEO. They are going to be the boss. They are going to... So they grow up through life. Yes, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> they grow up through life being told that they can do it. You mm. bet when they are in college, university, when they're in their first job, they hit the ground running, mm. right? Because all their life, they've been told that they can do it. We need to do that for ourselves. We need to do that for our kids. We need to do that for our brothers, for our sisters, cousins, you know, aunties, uncles. We need to develop this culture of support, mm. right? Like, because it's such a critical aspect of um, success, right? Like, if you believe you can do it, you're going to do it. Mm. Now, if you believe you can't do it, you're not going to try Mm. And so I think the mentality shift is really the, the second important part for, especially for university students. University students have so much potential, mm. right? Like, uh, so full of hope. You have time, right? You are connected to the problems. You're digital natives, right? Like you have so much potential. Mm. And so if no one is telling you in like your life that you can do it, I'm telling you now, you can do it. Mm. Um, so don't let anyone uh, ever hold you back from your dreams. Don't let yourself hold you back from your dreams. So that's the second part. The third one, which is really important, is you have to back it up. Mm. You can't just have a dream and then pray to God and say, God, make this dream come true. You have to, take action. You have to work for it, yeah. right? For, mm. You have to take action, right? Mm. So yes, God will be there to protect you and work with you, but you must work, mm. right? So um, the third aspect is you must be willing to work. Mm. Um, and work doesn't only mean, right, work yourself to death for someone else. A lot of times work means signing up for that free online Google class about coding for beginners. Mm. Work means, you know, going on Harvard's website and taking their free online courses for university because Harvard has that now because of COVID. Mm. Work means, you know, going online and, and searching free online courses about business, right? Mm. So work means different things for different people. Maybe you're really passionate about crafting, right? Maybe you're passionate about jewelry making. Maybe you're passionate about hair. Maybe you're passionate about engineering, technology, business, whatever it is that you're passionate about, you have to work for it. You have to, to give yourself the resources. Um, and there are a lot of free resources out there. So those are the, the three things um, that I would say. You have to work on your branding. Mm. Then um, you have to find the 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 mentorship, right? Mentorship, and then yeah. you have to you have to do the work. Do the work, yeah. Yeah, you have to do the work. Wow, simple, simple, straightforward, and you know, of course, brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, we just have one more question on the forum. So now we are in the section of the forum. Sure. We'll end this session. So one very important thing to making all of this re uh, yeah, sure. a, a reality is. 
um, the ability of the undergraduate community to form multi-stakeholder relationships. Um, in, in this transformative economy that we're, mm. we're, we're trying to create or we're trying to drive, we would need to engage different stakeholders with different self-interests, with different inclinations and experiences. Yeah. So yeah. our ability or our development of that skill to drive multi-stakeholder relationships is a very critical component of the development of a transformative economy. So yes. what do you think is that one area of impact that you think yeah. the undergraduate community can focus on right now to drive these multi-stakeholder relationships, you know, that would, that would create an economic value creation ecosystem within the enabling environments that we're trying to build for, you know, the shift in Africa's narrative. Yeah, yeah. My, my recommendation would be put yourself in spaces where you think you don't belong, mm. right? So okay. if you are not, if you are not from an elite background or elite community, whatever, 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 put yourself or try to put yourself in these spaces, um, let's say um, like a, a networking group a university group, um, let's say an, an online scholarship, um, you know, whatever these areas are that you think you don't belong or people tell you you don't belong, put yourself in those places. Wow. Because mm. um, to be able to be very good at multi-stakeholder management, you need to have multiple experiences in managing different stakeholders, right? Mm. You don't learn how to do multi-stakeholder management by only being in the space where you feel comfortable. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you must be able and willing and humble enough to put yourself in spaces where you may fail for a little while, but then eventually exactly build the diverse experiences necessary to be able to do multi-stakeholder management. Now, this is a very difficult thing for people to accept and grasp because yes, as human is. beings, we mm -hmm. don't like to be in spaces where we're uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> right? So we like to be in spaces, yes, we like to be in spaces where we're comfortable, where we're happy, zone. where we don't have mm -hmm. any problems. Mm -hmm. So that would be, yeah, so that would be my first recommendation is put yourself in spaces where you feel like you shouldn't be or that you don't belong. Mm. especially if they're elite spaces, because then you can even not just learn multi-stakeholder management, but also learn about how these people think. think. They, exactly. It's just, mm. it's unbelievable. They, mm. they think in just a different way. Mm. Um, and once you start to, to, to learn from them, it's amazing mm. what it does for your finances, what it does for your professional life, what it does for your personal life all of a sudden you're believing you can be president of your country or right mm. CEO of your fortune 500 company. Right. Mm. So definitely putting yourself in, in those types of spaces. The second one, which is something I myself still struggle with is the emotional intelligence component. Mm. So I don't know if you guys have this similar problem, but Jamaicans are not really known for being the most understanding people <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, we are known to be combative and um, a little sassy and angry and, and all these other things. Mm. I'm personally very introverted, so I don't get into these, these loud fights, but I have found that I'm not very 
empathetic or sympathetic. It's very hard for me to um, empathize with something that I personally don't experience. Mm. And so it does become, it does present a problem sometimes in my multi-stakeholder management when I'm not able to understand why this person you know, is let's say having a, a difficult time on my project or mm. why this person is even crying in my office, right? So, <laughs> right, this is something that you, you just mm. have to, you have to work on. I can't tell you how to work on it because I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Mm. But having really strong emotional intelligence is a very critical component to being able to manage effectively um, stakeholders, different stakeholders. And you can see a very clear example of what happens when you don't have that, right? I believe the president of the United States, the current president, it just doesn't have any emotional intelligence. And so it makes it very difficult for him to do effective multiple stakeholder management. So that's what I mean by you have to be able to build this emotional intelligence. And those are two things that if you master those two things, you are already better than 90% of the entire human population. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, is, it has been uh, an exciting conversation from the top to the bottom. I, I wish we, we wouldn't stop. But of course, I know you have um, multiple other <laughs> and I really value right, right, the, time, right. the time invested with us. So thank you so much, Stacey Ann. Um, it was such I a pleasure. It. It's, been, it's been a no pleasure. No problem, no problem. It's an experience having you on yeah. the forum on the venture right so. right 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 awesome course, thank you so course. much it was also my great pleasure and i want to i want to keep my promise i want you guys to do your chinese sentence yes <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> okay how do we do this um yes i mean i is everyone from, would you say everyone is from Nigeria or would you say it's yes. probably better to say like African? No, all, everyone's all of, from Nigeria or should yes. you say African? Yes, this, this is from Nigeria. Um, everyone here is from Nigeria, but also, you know, keeping in context that, you know, this session is recorded and it will be accessible anytime, anywhere in the world. You can also, you know, ah, okay, okay, do an okay. African shout out, but most of the people live on the call right now are Nigerian. All right, sure, 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 sure. Okay, so maybe then we can say um, I come from Africa or I'm from Africa or I'm of African descent. Okay. Right? So we could say, hello, I'm from Africa. Okay. So obviously the hello is ni hao. Ni hao. Ni hao. Ni hao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then it's, yeah, ni hao. Um, and then I is just wo. Wo, W-O, wo. Okay. You can do it. You can do it. War. Yeah. War. War. Um, and then, then yeah, war. Like, war. 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 So then, so, so, so let's review. So we have hello, I. Ni hao, war. War. Right? So. Did I get war. it? Yeah. War. Okay. So that's the first part. Yeah, war. So um, come from. It's basically uh, light. This one is a little hard. <laughs> okay. Just lie, like lie, you lie, you too lie. You're lying. Lie. Lie. <laughs> lie. <laughs> lie. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this one is very difficult. So <laughs> I don't know how to help you with this one. 
<laughs> just <laughs> like a like a bee, like a bee. What lights? What lights? Okay, what lights? So just lights. Like you're saying like. Yeah, what lights? Okay. Yeah, what lights? So that's I come from, and then Africa is Fajo. 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 That's really simple, right? Okay. Yeah, Fajo. Okay. Yeah, Fajo. So put it together, you have hi, I come from Africa, right? So ni hao, wo, lai zi, Fajo. Yeah, so you wrote it in the group with the correct tones. Okay, awesome. So let me try it. Go for it. Ni hao, wo, lai zi, ni zi. All right, awesome. Um, anyone, anyone, anyone can always access this. Wow, that's exciting. I'm definitely going to yeah, yeah, yeah. My Chinese. Um, exciting. Yeah, so the, the full way would just be Niha, what lies the Feijo? What of Nigeria? Does Nigeria have its own um, Chinese? Word too. Yes, Nigeria is a long. I had to look it up. It's Nirelia. <laughs> it's much harder than Facebook. Okay, let's just do Africa. I think we're fine. <laughs> we are African, so <laughs> so that's that's just as exciting as it gets. We'll, we'll take our Chinese. So, yeah, there. Nigeria is Nirelia. Yeah, that one's a hard one. Nirelia. 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 Yeah, that's a hard one. Okay. Yeah, me really, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Really, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's a fajo. So much fun. So much fun. Yes. So much fun. Of course. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we've come to the end of. Um. Feel free. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um. And I'm happy to share with Toyin um, all the resources and everything that could be helpful. Um, and then you can continue to connect through him. And this is fantastic. And continue to be your amazing selves. Believe that you can change the world and you are the future. Awesome. Such powerful closing. Thank you so much. So everybody have a great day. This will be made available. Um, so um, Stacey, and I'm going to send you a follow-up email so we could... Um, you know, as we, as we spoke okay. um, before, so we could just follow up on the conversations and then, you know, we have so much to talk about as usual. Sure, sure. All right, awesome. So All have right. a great day. Right, right. Um, what is, what is bye-bye? Awesome. What is bye-bye in Chinese? Saijian. Saijian. Okay, Saijian. 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 Bye, Jen. All right. All right. Bye, Jen. Bye, Jen. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.